This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Live. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Top 10 by Deep Five Nation. This morning, I'm your host, Tia, and I am just by myself right now. We are waiting for Brittany to join us, but in the meantime, I should tell you guys about the show. So today is the Top 10 Comfort Movies, um, Comfort Food Movies, I should actually say, and This kind of subject was actually suggested to me by our editor-in-chief, our kind of uh, commander-in-chief, as I like to call him, Kanan. And um, at first when he told me comfort food movies, I didn't necessarily understand it. Um, He mentioned to me actually that his comfort food movie is Battleship, which is super interesting. And I decided to look up what the whole thing about comfort food movies even are. And it's about essentially, um, it's about movies that make you comfortable, that movies that you enjoy when there's just so many, say, depressing and sad films out there. But it's funny enough that my type of comfort food movie is kind of the more serious uh, type of film. So it is all subjective and opinionated, and that is what we're going to be going through today. I believe I do have my co-host, Brittany, with us this morning. Brittany, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. I was just regaling the audience of our subject, which is uh, the top 10 comfort food movies. And I was saying that um, if you look up comfort food movies, they're all supposed to be like happy-go-lucky movies that are kind of like, you know, a break of, say, like the sad and depressing type of films. But uh, I was looking at my list and the movies that say I love and can watch on repeat all day long are not necessarily the happy-go-lucky type of movies. And this type of uh, suggestion was brought to me by Kanan, and he was giving me an example that his, uh, one of his comfort food movies is Battleship. So it kind of gave me an idea that this, uh, this list doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a whole list, say, of like 40-year-old version or something like that. So I feel <laughs> like I have uh, an interesting list. I don't know, like, what was your kind of thought process when I told you what the subject was? Because I had a moment, too, where I was like, what does that mean? But I took it as whenever you're not really wanting to, not exactly fully pay attention to a movie, but whenever you're home alone and you want to put something on and it's a movie you really love and you know it in and out and you just want to watch it, that's what I consider a comfort movie, kind of like something that is, well, comforting you you sit there and you love it so much that you just can't wait to put it on and it can it doesn't matter if it's a good movie or a bad movie just something you could watch a million times and not even uh it's familiar exactly um i like the way that you described that that's actually perfect um you know what i just thought of and i'm sure it's on your list 
but I was thinking about the time that you told me you watched Lawless about six times in yes. a row one day. <laughs> yes. I, I literally sat there and went, do I want to put Lawless on there? Do I need that there? And because I was like, as soon as you said come around, I was like, man, I've watched that movie a million times. <laughs> it's funny. I decided to put down pretty much all the movies that I could think of. And there's like 20 on my list. Um, sure. I really had to like go in and try to like uh, cross out some. So, I mean, at least I have a lot of backups in case there's a little bit of uh, overlap here. But thank you for joining us today. I know that you got a busy morning, so I'm not going to keep you. But let's just kind of get the show on the road. Brittany, what's your number 10? I think I'm going to have to go with uh, 10 Things I Hate About You because that was the, <laughs> that is the movie that when me and mom would be home and we had nothing to do, she would go, oh, my God, 10 Things I Hate About You is on. we got to watch it. And then we'd get popcorn, and then we'd just lay in bed watching this movie because it is funny enough that um, you can have a good time and just enjoy it for what it is, but it does have its serious moments. But I could watch that movie, like, over and over again. It's one of those movies I could just leave on repeat and go and not really get annoyed at it. And that's what I kind of consider a comfort movie, too, is that something you can just, like, it, it's kind of like, uh, to me, it's kind of like Shane Dawson and Jeffree Star's, like, like documentary series. I've watched it a million times over and over again. And I'm like, oh, why do I even enjoy this? And that's kind of how I feel about 10 Things I Hate About You, where I'm like, oh, I could just put this on and listen to it. But I also do get sad because uh, it used to be so comforting, but then also when Heath Ledger died, it, it's always depressing to see someone that's passed away on screen. But then there also is that is the nice thing about movies is that you they kind of, they live on through them. They're immortalized. Well, don't worry, Brittany. I don't know if you heard about the whole James Dean thing, but apparently we're bringing actors back from the dead, so maybe Heath Ledger will be in an upcoming movie. Oh, what is it called, like, deep fake or something like that? Uh, Let me just explain for the listeners out there that might be a little confused about what I just said. Uh, there was this recent report that this director, and I forget his name, but the movie is going to be called Finding Jack. And apparently the director looked high and low for the right actor and could not find one that he thought was good enough for his part. So he decided that through the um, technology and through the advancement of uh, CGI, they are going to be bringing James Dean to the big screen in this role um, through his likeness and all that jazz, but then they're going to have a different actor, of course, voicing him. Very, very strange. Um, And mind you, I believe I read that James Dean died in, like, 1955, so this is going to be technically his fourth movie. Very, very very strange. So that was a little bit of jab there with the Heath Ledger thing. Um, let the actors rest is all I got to say. <laughs> but uh, I love that you put 10 things I hate about you. I absolutely love this movie. Um, one of my favorite Heath Ledger movies of all time. Seriously, it's just um, 
you know, I love the whole story of it. I love Heath Ledger's character kind of being the bad boy that no one knows about. You know, they have all these, like, rumors, like, oh, I heard he got sent to juvie for this, this, and that. And he gets with uh, the sister who's very, you know, herself rough around the edges. And through that, they find that they actually really like each other, even though the whole thing started essentially um, with Heath Ledger's character getting paid uh, to date her because the whole thing is that uh, the girl that he ends up dating, her younger sister wants to date, but their father has a rule that the younger sister can't date unless the older sister starts dating. And because the older sister is what you would uh, kind of perceive as, uh, you know, not approachable, it's one of those things that is probably never going to happen. So long story short, the guy who wants to date the younger sister ends up paying Heath Ledger's character to at least start dating the older sister, which could, you know, you could say starts off uh, not very truthfully, but he ends up really, really liking her. And of course you have that very iconic scene, the whole reason why it's called 10 Things I Hate About You. And it's this whole poem about how she hates how much she actually really likes this guy, even though she's truly, truly hurt at this point after finding out that it started by by a bet or by being paid. But I love this movie so much. I love that it's your comfort uh, food movie. When you look up online about comfort food movies, this is definitely there. Oh, I love it. And I especially, I don't know why I always remember that part where they're snooping through the older sister's room and they pull out the black underwear and she's like oh, yes. and she wants to have sex one day and I was like what? What? Huh? <laughs> I didn't know if it was like a, a like a, a science to the color. <laughs> it, it was very uh very telling, you know, she must be promiscuous. Her underwear is black. It's very much like those I don't know if this is your time, Brittany since you are a few years younger than me, but back when I was in high school, jelly bracelets were yes. the rage. And oh my I just I just wore them because I thought they were cool and I practically lived at Hot Topic and I thought that was the look. But apparently the whole thing was that if you wore certain colored jelly bracelets and a boy broke one of them, depending on what the color was, you had to perform that sexual act, which... I think about this Tuesday, I was probably about 14 or 15, and I remember going to Sam Goody's, which RIP Sam Goody's, not around anymore, and I remember the guy behind the counter, who had to have been at least in his late 20s, early 30s, was like, oh, you know what those are for, right? And I'm thinking to myself, should you have been talking like that to a 14 or 15-year-old? You know, like, don't Yeah, don't I suggest- like, uh... <laughs> You think back on those type of things, and you're like, that's a little weird, but... That is a little weird. I I do remember the Black Panties thing, and of course I remember Heath Ledger singing uh, on the bleachers to her, and, you know, it's just a great movie. It really is. I really enjoy 10 Things I Hate About You. I mean, I think every girl at that point had a crush on Heath Ledger because he was just so beautiful. Uh, and what's funny is I hadn't realized that was Heath Ledger because I hadn't kept up with, like, the actors at that time like I do now. And I uh, I remember, like, with the Joker and everything for uh, The Dark Knight. Is it The Dark Knight Rises or it's just The Dark Knight? 
I can't remember the dark which. Night. Okay. When he showed up, I was like, that's not Heath Ledger. That's <laughs> not Heath Ledger. Like, he was unrecognizable. Well, I remember because I was quite a fan of Heath Ledger's work. I've seen a bit of his movies, like 10 Things I Hate About You. And when they first announced that he was going to be the Joker, I thought to myself, yeah, I love Heath Ledger. He's amazing, but he's not the Joker. He can't do that. He's the, he's, you know, the pretty boy. Um, And Jesus Christ was everyone wrong on that. So, um, you know, he looked, as you said, very unrecognizable as the Joker, not even just because he has the face paint and the scarf on, but just, because I don't think that people who were fans of him at the time could realize that he could do something like that, pull off a performance like that. I agree. Which I he, definitely agree. Which he very much did. But uh, great, uh, you know, number 10. I'm going to hit the number nine. And I am going, you know, I was thinking about this and I'm going to keep within the. Keith Ledger realm, and I am going to do a Night's Tale because that was another movie. Um, that was another movie back in the day that I absolutely loved. And again, one of the reasons why I love Heath Ledger, I love a Night's Tale. First of all, um, if anyone doesn't know, it actually is loosely based on a poem, what have you, of Geoffrey Chaucer, who you know was back in the day like Shakespeare and all that. And it tells the tale of a guy who, quote-unquote, was a common folk who dreamt of being a knight, but you couldn't be a knight unless, you know, you couldn't be a knight in jousting unless you were of royal blood. He pretty much grabs up this scheme to get these people together to help him become a a knight uh, through lies and fibs and Jeffrey Chaucer, the character, is actually in the movie, played by Paul Bettany, which if you don't know, is the guy who plays Vision. Yeah, he's the guy who plays Vision in the Marvel movies, and he is the one who essentially helps drum up this tale for uh, Heath Ledger's character. And I love it because, yes, it's very renaissance-y, but also – uh, very much has like a modern feel to it. I think at some point, like while they're in the jousting, they start doing the whole, you know, queen, we will rock you type of beat and stuff. So obviously that was not happening back then. Uh, but I just love that whole mixture of modern day kind of like rock and roll, but also obviously taking place in medieval times. And it's this great tale of, you know, someone essentially uh, changing their fate and paving their own way, which I believe probably was very difficult to do back in those times. And we see him, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, you know, he finds a woman that he really loves and he's going up against people who not only are dangerous in the jousting realm, but also who are suspicious of his, his origins. And I love the end of that movie where the uh, the actual king or prince, I forget what he was, makes – you could tell he's, like, making up some lie. But he's like, oh, yes, if you didn't know, he did have some royalty in his bloodline. So, yes, he is an actual knight. 
because at that point he had gotten arrested. They were going to behead him because they beheaded everyone for every little thing back then. And yeah, of course. Of course. And so, but the uh, king or, again, I forget if he's a king or a prince, but he liked Heath Ledger. And so he <laughs> said, nope, he's an actual knight. And it's just this amazing fun tale. It makes you feel really good about yourself. It has this great like feel to it, this great music kind of uh, ties to it. And as you said, I love Paul Bettany's character in that. Uh, and there's this one part I have to point it out, and I forget exactly what it was because it has been a long time since I've seen A Night's Tale. But Paul Bettany encounters these two guys who are jerks and he was like I will immortalize you in one of my tales blah 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 and I think that is like an actual tale by the real Jeffrey Chaucer so I just it was almost like meta and like fourth wall breaking which I really like but I love him yeah I love him I love Heath Ledger and actually Alan Tudyk is also in that movie and he's fantastic in everything that he's uh he's been in. So yeah, I love a nice tale and I have to put it down as the number nine of my comfort food movie. It seems like Brittany, you've also seen a nice tale. So uh, do you love it as much as I do? Oh, I love that movie. It's just been such a long time since I've seen it. It's also, I love that a lot of the movies I love so much are the ones my mom showed me when I was younger, which Mm. is always uh, makes it even more comforting. But I remember, uh, for first off, I remember her covering my eyes whenever, uh, uh, which actor was it again that's naked at the beginning? Paul Bettany, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, what? I was like, why is he walking around naked? And she was like, long story, just don't look. And I was like, all right. But um, I also love the uh, We Will Rock You. I remember that beat. I remember, like, them something. I feel like there was even, like, a Super Bowl commercial like that one time. Uh, and I always thought of a night so with it. I just loved him trying so hard to, because you have to think about, like, now, especially where we live, we have the opportunity that even though if it may not be easy, we can be whatever we want to be, especially if we have the right resources. But you have to think back then where only a noble blood can you be a knight. And you're like, well, do I get injections for that? Can I, like, (laughs) is there, like, a pill for that? And it's like you were kind of like, it was very, like, stay in your lane. So it is, like, I do find it comforting of, like, it's almost like why I love uh, superhero movies because it's, like, their origin. And this whole movie is an origin story of just a man trying to be a knight. So I do really enjoy that. Yeah, and that's what I very much love about this movie is the whole him just, making his own destiny pretty much and deciding that just because he wasn't born of noble blood that he was going to be a knight. And he had a a crew of people who were behind him and wanted to also help him because in a way they also felt like they couldn't ever rise to that type of status. And through his 
vigor, pretty much, they were able to also improve their status as well. So I have to uh, mention really quick, Brittany, you talked about how your mother covered your eyes during Paul Bettany's naked scenes, which he was naked a few times. He kept losing at gambling. He was a very bad gambler. But yeah. when I was <laughs> when I was in eighth grade, my English literature class, we were watching the 1970s I believe it was the 1970s version of Romeo and Juliet. It was not the Leonardo DiCaprio version. It was older. But there is a scene where the woman is full, like Juliet is full on topless. And I think that my teacher completely forgot that because remember back in the day they put the TV on that whole rolling thing pretty much? Yes. Oh, my goodness. and we're watching Romeo and Juliet, and as soon as that happens, she, like, freaks out, like, jumps from her desk and tries to, like, spin the thing around because she's like, don't tell your parents that this show Don't tell your parents. <laughs> oh, I think my God. I think that she completely forgot that that was even in the movie. She was so embarrassed. And then I think she couldn't, like, turn her around in time, so then she just ended up putting, like, her hands on the screen, and we were like, all right, lady, we, we already saw what was going on. <laughs> we've, uh, we've already seen those Tiggo bitties. So <laughs> it, it's already I, I think I had an issue, like, that one time, too, except it was with, like, curse words of being in junior high. Isn't it funny it's always junior high because I suddenly decide, yeah, I can show these more, like, mature uh, shows. And I think it said the F word a lot in it, and she was like, I forgot about this. Which is funny. It was English class, too. What's up with English teachers? (laughs) You know, poems and stuff like that back in Shakespeare and Geoffrey Chaucer days were quite... um, I want to say naughty in uh, very much manners that we just don't realize because they're uh, outlined in very doubts and art knots and all that. But if you actually read them and realize what the hell is being said, you realize that they are, uh, they're very mature. They're very mature. There's definitely things that they're talking about that our teachers would probably want to shy away from in our modern day. But, yeah, that's really funny. So I love A Nice Tale, um, and I love that we started off this uh, this list with two Heath Ledger movies because they are both iconic. And I want to say very much a comfort food movie, something that you can just watch and enjoy over and over and over again. So, um, Brittany, if you're ready, we got the number eight coming to you. I, I I was sitting there, I was kind of like going through my list as we always do, and I was like, you know what, I, I'm going to go with this movie. I did not see it until I, I was born, raised by it, I didn't see it until I was already a woman. Uh, Forrest Gump. I love this movie. I probably watched it a million times, and I uh, I didn't see it until I was an adult, and everybody's like, you haven't seen Forrest Gump? And so I ended up watching it, and now I love it. But it is it. I, I love history. So to see a spin on history of like Forrest Gump calling in the Watergate scandal, like um, I I see some people over there, or um, you have uh, like with the desegregation, and he's like picking up the book and handing it, and he can't understand why you know why they're even not being allowed to do that. 
or just see him through history and his love of Jenny. It always gets me so much because I'm like, he loves her. Then, you know, it does have its depressing parts, but for the most part, it is funny, and it does take, like, a more lighthearted spin on some very serious matters. Like, you even have Lieutenant Dan, you know, being a veteran of the war, he, uh, losing his legs. And he's like, Lieutenant Dan, you ain't got no legs. And just, like, how, you know, how he lightens up the life of everybody he touches and how, you know, even what is he told Jenny? He's like, I, I may not be smart, but I know what love is. And I'm like, oh, it kills my heart every time. But it's one of those movies I can put on. If I, somebody was like, I want to watch a movie, I'd be like, that's what's worth gum. Because that is a movie I can get into without being emotionally destroyed until the very end. That emotionally destroys me. Well, you know, and, Brittany, Mama always did say life was like a box of chocolates. <laughs> oh, no. outside that you could sit on that was modeled after the bench from Forrest Gump. Aw, that's cute. I like that. I feel like there's a Bubba Gump in New York City. I've never been to it, but I feel like there is. New York City. All right, Brittany, you're getting a little little sassy this morning. (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. No, but I, I love Forrest Gump. First of all, it's Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks can do no wrong. I mean, he's amazing. And this certainly is one of the most iconic movies of all times, definitely within uh, the past, say, what, 20, 30 years about. And there's so many iconic scenes, so many iconic lines. I love that it's essentially a tale of someone who, yes, is Forrest Gump necessarily that bright. No. But he is lovable and he knows things. And it almost is just like this tale of like, it doesn't matter necessarily if he is like the smartest man in the room, right? It's that he cares about people. And that's what's important pretty much is that he cares about people. And he, as you said, essentially brightens up the life of everyone else around him. And that's extremely important. And it's nice to see him in that there's no um if i remember correctly there's no point where people are trying to essentially get him to be something that he isn't people are just enjoying who he is as he is and that's really nice and i love the scene where he has the braces on his legs and he's you know, running and you see the braces breaking off because he's just running. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't he like do this like huge like cross country run or something like that and everyone starts following him? Like there's so many iconic scenes, you know, of course you have Bubba Gump who talks about, you know, everything that you can do with shrimp. And I too relate to Bubba Gump because I too like shrimp. There's a lot of shit that you can do with shrimp. Um, and as you said, Lieutenant Dan and all that, I mean, you have some serious subjects 
in this movie. It's not just about Forrest Gump. But I always was, like, really confused about Jenny because it's like she she dies of AIDS, right? And Yeah, that's what they, they have, allude to. And they have a kid. But does Forrest have it? Does the kid have oh, it? I I sat there and thought, like, wondered that, too, because I was like, you know, um, but all I can assume is maybe she contracted it after all of that, or if they, because uh, I've been curious about that, too, but also, you know, you have to wonder she used, uh, she was on drugs, and, you know, lot, you know, it could have been sharing needles, it could have been. I wonder, but then they almost allude that she got better after she had her child. So I've I've wondered that too. Like, did it uh, did it get her too? Like, I, I'm very curious about that too. I'm I'm that has been something I have questioned a lot, and I have tried to Google it. So I'm glad you you've asked, and I my answer is I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess the only thing is you can say is that maybe she had the kid and went to drugs briefly or something like that and then decided, like, hey, I'm a mom, I need to stop this, and, you know, it manifested afterwards. I don't know. It was the one thing always that I'm like, that's a plot hole, especially, like, at that time. We didn't have the medication to combat HIV the way that we have now, you know? So it's the one thing that always kind of really, like, made me wonder about that movie. But besides that, it's this amazing tale. I love how much Forrest Gump loved Jenny. I just love him. And I think that that movie, on top of so many others, made people just absolutely fall in love with Tom Hanks. I mean, he's still one of the – you know, my grandma loves him, right? She's like – Tom Hanks is the only one who's, like, every movie he's in, say, it's, like, it's always enjoyable, right? You know, my grandparents are old school, so they don't like movies with a bunch of curse words in it or a bunch of, like, huge sex scenes in it. And I think that to my grandma, it's, like, Tom Hanks is almost safe like that, right? Like, no movie of his has ever been, like, you know, say, really adult subjects to the point of, like, you know, cursing and massive, like, explicit sex scenes and all that. So I think that, you know, Tom Hanks just uh, appealed to an older crust. <laughs> well, that, you know what? That, I wouldn't mind, even to this day. I wouldn't mind. I'm just saying, Tom Hanks, you're, you're getting a little older, right? You're doing movies. Maybe you want to break away from your typical movie and just go go in a different direction. None of us are going to mind. <laughs> I really want to see his um, movie where he plays Mr. Rogers. It looks really good. And it's like, who wants to see a movie about Mr. Rogers? I mean, that that sounds bad because people are probably like, Mr. Rogers is amazing. I grew up with Mr. Rogers, too. I'm just saying, like, it's like, oh, who wants to really see a biopic? And it's like, well, with Tom Hanks, I want to see a biopic about Mr. Rogers. Just saying. Um, you know, funny interjection. Uh, you know, everybody always loved Mr. Rogers, and I always felt bad because when I was little, I was terrified of him. I thought he was so, like, I think it was because he was soft-spoken, and I was like, oh, he's scary. He's, like, 
going to murder me. And I feel so guilty about it now because everybody loves him so much and they talk about how he helped them through a rough time. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I was scared of him. And I admitted it to my uh, my world sit professor. He goes, he goes, that's understandable. He goes, I love Mr. Rogers, but I was terrified when he would uh, go into, like, the puppet town. He's like, I hated it. Mr. Rogers is very much a groundbreaking uh, individual. I watched this, like, brief documentary about him, not the one that just came out, but apparently, like, at the time his program was on, you know, he had uh, someone who is of African-American descent, and I can't remember if the guy was playing, like, a police officer, playing, like, a mailman, but he just had the guy on. I believe. Yeah, yeah, and he just had the guy on, and they were, like, washing their feet or something like that. Something so They were small, just putting just... their feet in a pool, like, a, in a yeah. little pool. Yeah, and it was just something casual. People were like, that was big back then because, like, you know, that was unheard of to do. And it's like, but Mr. Rogers was there trying to break down barriers. And it's like, I love Mr. Rogers. This is what he did. He just wanted to make people feel comfortable and make people feel like a community. But... Um, I love Forrest Gump, but I still think that uh, Tom Hanks, one of his best performances of all time was in Philadelphia. I don't know if you've ever seen Philadelphia. I have not. Oh, oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's about a man who is uh, fighting discrimination because he was essentially uh, fired for once. He he's a, he plays a gay man who has AIDS, and it was obvious that he was fired because of it. So they're fighting discrimination, and his lawyer is someone who uh, I forget now if like the lawyer didn't like gay people or didn't like that he had AIDS or something. One of those, or it could be a combination of both, right? But then just finding the lawyer just so dedicated to helping him out through all this because. He's just such an amazing person, and he couldn't help but just be so completely drawn to Tom Hanks' character. Um, obviously incredibly sad. If that's, like, I guess your idea of comfort food, that's a sad comfort food. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> but, a, that's a sad one, Tia. That's a <laughs> discomfort food. A discomfort food, exactly. But, yeah, love that you put Forrest Gump. Um, I'll go with number seven. I'm looking at my my whole little list here. I'm like, what should I put? But I'm going to put a recent one, Brittany, because I find that I really like this movie. And it's funny, over the weekend, I found myself wanting to watch it again. I just didn't. But um, I'm going to put Frank, uh, which, oh, you know, came girl. out which, uh, came out in 2014. And we've talked about this in a previous um, episode before, but essentially the whole plot to it is that you have this guy, Frank, played by Michael Fassbender, who is the lead singer of a band, and the quirky thing about him is that he never takes off this paper mache head, and you think, like, before I watched it, when I was looking at, like, pictures and everything, I was like, this is so strange, this is so weird, but I ended up really loving the movie because it's so comforting. It's so 
uh, enriching because you have this guy who obviously when you first look at him, you're like, this guy's nuts. But he, um, you know, very much like, say, uh, Forrest Gump, enriches the lives of everyone around him. He just makes everyone else feel good. Everyone is drawn to him. Everyone wants to be a part of this, like, kooky little band that, you know, they don't know if they're ever going to make it famous, but they want to be around him, and they want to be around the project that he is doing. And it's very much this movie where it's about finding, say, yourself in a self exploration. I just really adore that about this movie that it's really nice and I love the end of this movie specifically because you saw how much the band meant to him. Um and I like also the conversation about mental illness in this movie. Um because as we talked about in a previous show, the new uh basis no keyboardist, I'm sorry. The new keyboardist who comes in sees Frank, and obviously, since this is a guy who never takes off a paper mache head, he automatically believes that this guy has, you know, a rough childhood, must have had a really abusive home, and you find out that, no, he had two extremely loving parents and a very nice upbringing. It's just that he has a mental illness, and that's okay because his parents love him and they provide this safe space for him. And it's all about providing, like, safe spaces for everyone in the band. And it's almost essentially this place for misfits to to be together and not feel judged and not feel like, say, the rest of society probably makes them feel. Like, I was looking back on it, right? And you have Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, who's obviously very abrasive, but she's always wearing, like, these Victorian-era-like outfits. And, yeah, that's, like, weird, right, in modern day, but no one makes any sort of comment about it. And I think that that's just the whole – and then, of course, you have Scoot McNary's character, who, um, you know, has a a very – odd relationship with mannequins, but that doesn't ever even also seem to be something that bothers anyone because it's a safe space, and I just love this movie. It's really comforting. It's very much, it's not like I thought it was going to be at all when I went into it, and I think that it's just a movie that makes me feel good, so I definitely wanted to put it on the list. Um, especially since it's a new movie that I've seen recently, but I would definitely categorize it as one of my top ten comfort food movies. I was going to say, I feel like I've heard you talk like a thousand times in like the last month of, hey, what you doing to you? And I put Frank on. And I'm like, (laughs) girl, how many times can you watch this movie? And apparently the answer is not enough. Um, we both know I haven't got to fully see it yet, but the parts that I have seen, I do thoroughly enjoy. And then I glad that it's not like a judgmental situation, if that makes sense. Like, uh, like they do kind of just take care of one another. And that's why I get sad when they introduce that other guy, because he does kind of disrupt their way of life. It wasn't about making it big and being super famous. It was about, the the community that they had together. So I'm like, dude, you ruined everything for them. <laughs> but I do love Don's relationship with the mannequins. Would you like to uh, go further on that, or would you like me to do it? You can do it. You seem like you were on a good roll there. 
Well, John, uh, you know, he had spent time in a mental institute, and that is where he met Frank. And he talks about, you know, oh, you know, Frank may, you know, he may seem kind of out there, but he's the sanest, as you say, the sanest cat I know. But, yeah. uh, you know, because apparently cat is in his lingo. But he, um, he, uh, describes, he's like, oh, I, basically of having sexual relations with uh, with mannequins and there's even a part where he explains he's like it's a condition and you're like okay so of course I had to look it up but I don't know if it's like a full on condition or a preference or not but I'm pretty sure it is a condition that one can have of being sexually attracted to I think it's under statues or dolls but I'm just gonna I'm gonna assume it for all things stiff and uh, motionless. But um, I enjoyed that uh, little detail in the movie. Well, because there's a part where <laughs> so you have Don, who's played by Scoot McNary, and then you have John, um, who's played by that guy. You would know this more than I do because you're a Harry Potter fan. He played um, this the brother of Ron Weasley. Fred or George? Yeah. Were they real brothers or did they just get the same guy to, like, play that character? They, I thought they are brothers because somebody was like, there was an interview where they were like, oh, are y'all actually related? And they're like, no. And they were like, they are related. Um, I'm pretty sure it was two different, that they look different, but they are twins. Let's see, Fred, and I've got, now, now you're making me look it up. Okay, well, you can look it up. But so you have John, right, and he's the keyboardist, and he gets brought into this whole crowd. And his whole thing is like, you know, whereas, say, the actual band is just doing this just essentially for fun, John is like, oh, you guys need to be famous. You guys need to do this. I'm going to create a social media account for this and really kind of, like, pushes them which he's pushing them too hard and it causes Frank to have a a sort of mental breakdown. But what I was going to say was there's this part where the band is working on their music and Don has his own sort of freak out moment. And so then Frank and John are talking about it. And Frank is like, did he tell you about the mannequins? And John's like, yeah, does he still, you know, and Frank says no, but, that it's hard for Don to be with real women because he has to get women, he has to convince them to stay very, very still. So clearly, oh, no. uh, there's, clearly there's something with Don that still is within him that needs that sort of uh, whatever he found in his sexual relations with mannequins. Which again, anyone who's listening to this is probably like, that's weird. Shut up. Stop talking about this movie. Like, but, stop going on about this and we're like, no. 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 Oh, and they because are the twins. Uh, well, they are different people. I knew they were twins, but I, I, I don't know why my brain was getting confused. It's James and Oliver Phelps. Oh, then you know what? I don't think it's that guy. I thought he just looked like that dude. Never mind. I think it's a completely different dude. It's just a completely different ginger dude. Uh, oh, freaking gingers. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm like looking. What what's the guy's name that is the one that ruins everything? 
Wait, I'm looking it up now, just so I kind of, Is like... Dom Gleason? Yeah, so that's not the guy. I really thought that this yeah. was the dude who was in um, Harry Potter. My bad, everyone who's listening. They're like, how dare you speak blasphemous of Harry Potter? My bad. Oh, wait, no. He became known to a wider audience for his portrayal of Bill Weasley in the Harry Potter. There you go. I knew what I was talking about, all right? I know what I'm talking about. Uh, Bill Weasley? Yeah. Oh, that's one of the brothers, I believe. Let me see. Now, now you got me it's looking at Yeah. It's, he's the oldest brother. He's the oldest brother. So, so I mean, you not were accurate enough that they were able to play brothers in the same series, but they are not, in fact, brothers. <laughs> well, I knew, like, I was like, I think that's why this guy is so popular, because I re- when you look, okay, if you go to Tumblr, right, and you look up Frank, the movie, the, the all the gifts are either of, obviously, Michael Fassbender or this guy. And I'm like, he has a huge fandom, and I'm like, okay, they clearly must love him for some reason other than Frank. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's the Harry Potter movie. So there you go. Like, I knew what I was talking about. I'm going to give myself a big old pat on the back here. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but I just love Frank. I think it's a great movie. It's certainly strange and outside the box for anyone. But really a quick fun fact here that I read while reading about this movie is that when Maggie Gyllenhaal was originally approached for this role, she turned it down because she said that she didn't get it. She was like, it's too strange. I don't get it. But apparently like weeks went by and she couldn't stop thinking about it. She couldn't stop thinking about the script. So then she called them back and she's like, is this role still available? To which obviously they said yes. And then she ended up playing the part. But I think that's super interesting. And that's kind of, I think, what the gist of this movie is, that from the outside you're like, this is too weird for me. And then you watch it and you're like, I can't stop, like, analyzing this movie. Um, So I really love it. I certainly would categorize it as a comfort food movie that I could turn on and just enjoy and kind of watch uh, in the background. So it, it's very strange what my comfort movies and shows are, considering right before we started this podcast, I was leisurely watching, re-watching Mindhunter. I mean, that I find to be like comfort food. So I guess you that just know. says something about me. I was going to say, I guess that just says something about me. But let's move on. Brittany, what's your number six? My number six is going to be, it's kind of broad, and what's funny is that it was already on my list before we just had this discussion. Uh, I was going to go with anything from the Harry Potter series, (laughs) because I was obsessed with Harry Potter as a kid. Now, I didn't hit those moments, like, like some people that are, like, very dedicated to which house they're in, and, like, say that they will die before they visit the Harry Potter uh, amusement park, which I did, and I did get a one there, so <laughs> there you go. But um, I I was obsessed with the books, so when the movies came out, like, I've, I've watched and read the books so many times that anytime one of the movies comes on, I'm like, oh, this is the song and dance, but I love it. I you know, it doesn't stress me out, except for, like, I think, like, the second to last one stresses me out a little bit, uh, or, 
you know, there is certain ones that do stress me out. But I especially love, I'll, I'll narrow it down to Sorcerer's Stone because mm-hmm. that was the one that, like, it, it um, I'm trying to think of the word for it. It, it was the one that started it all, like the wonderment of like it was his origin. It was the sitting there and realizing like, oh, you're a wizard, Harry, and, you know, getting the letter and going to school and making enemies, you know, just the whole setup of what it was to come to be was got me really excited. I was like, this is the best thing I have ever seen. And having read the books, you know, and when you see something that's so true to nature, it, I don't know, it was very exciting. <laughs> Listen, is a reason why Harry Potter is still popular to this day after all the movies, the books, the Broadway play, the fact that they have amusement parks, and then you have the prequels, um, Fantastic Beasts, which they are coming out with a third one. So, um, and I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Brittany, but I believe that J.K. Rowling is even working on new books for Harry Potter. The fact is that Harry Potter is, like, never going to die. <laughs> that, that's, like, the interesting part because it is, um, what's the word for it? Um What's I going to say for it? I, I let myself, like, wonder too much about philosophy. I mean, the Sorcerer's Stone. But uh, she probably is. She sees her doing it off of one of the books that in in the show, in the movies and in the books, there is, like, books within it that are, like, what they need to read. Like, uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was actually a book that Harry Potter had to read in the show. So, you know, very meta. So I'm sure there is other situations like they may do uh they could even do like a Dumbledore origin story they could do um you know she didn't write the book but Harry Potter and the Cursed Child uh which is supposed to be Harry Potter's child growing up which uh you know it got turned into a play yeah yeah but um and it was made by other people I don't think it was J.K. Rowling even though she gave her blessing for it that, you know, they can make that into a movie. There's there's so many options. That, that cash cow is going to be given for a while. Oh, absolutely. Although, I mean, so again, I've never seen them, but I heard very good things from Kelly about the first Fantastic Beasts movie, but then apparently the second movie, uh, according to her and according to a lot of critics out there, fell very much flat. And it seems like the third movie has had uh, their schedule date, you know, shifted around a few times. So they're going to have to finish it because I believe it's only supposed to be a trilogy, right? They're going to have to finish off extremely strong. Um, Although that's probably a lie because I don't think that a third, you know, fantastic piece that say it does poorly, I don't think that's going to kill the franchise at all. If, If anything, they can just, go back and start focusing on Harry Potter again. Um, so I, I was going to take that back because I was like, oh, it's, that's going to that's gonna kill the franchise. It's not. Harry Potter's never going to die. People are going to continuously love this world and love everything about it. But, 
yeah, as you said, there's so many options. Um, I didn't go to the play The Cursed Child, but Kelly did, and she absolutely loved it. So they can certainly adapt that into a movie franchise. I'm surprised, honestly, that they haven't done, say, a series on it because you can do that. There's so much that you can do that perhaps it would be a better option for them to adapt it into maybe a short-lived series or something like that. Oh, definitely. And anything under the Harry Potter brand, people will watch it. Even if they complain about it, there's going to be a stand out there that's like, this is the best thing that has ever existed in the entire world. Exactly. So let me ask you, Brittany, if you had to think about it, what house would you belong to? (laughs) You know, I used to get so offended because people would be like, you look like a Hufflepuff, which was supposed to be like the loser of the house. But you know what? I own it now. They're a freaking badger. You know, they they vicious. <laughs> but uh, I think when I was younger, I wanted to be a Gryffindor so bad. And they're like, you're not brave. And I was like, I'm going to punch someone like in the crotch over this. This is how angry y'all are making me. But uh, now, you know what? I own it. Badgers are cool. <laughs> I'm going to go with Hufflepuff. Brittany, you'd obviously be a Slytherin because of the blonde hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, are you calling me uh, slippery? Are you calling me corrupt? You'd probably be like a Ravenclaw. You'd be all smart and shit. Or a Hufflepuff. You can oh, be a weirdo sorry. with me. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't it to my understanding that the dude Draco Malfoy actually, like, turned good or something like that? Or am I, like, mixing that up with us? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He, he, he turned good. Yeah. Yeah, right? So there you go. There's redeemable shit to the Slytherins. I have no idea of anything that I'm talking about, like, at all. So please stop me for any uh, any any incorrectness that I may put out there. I mean, I judge you either way. Oh, thanks, thanks. But I love that Harry Potter is your comfort food um, because I certainly can see that people absolutely love the Harry Potter realm, the books, the movies. Would you ever go back and read one of the books or do you think that like, okay, at this point in my life, I've absorbed them and they're also like thousands and thousands of pages long. So no. Well, it's hard to say, okay, you know how fast I read and how much I I used to, well, it's like I still love reading, but I I got too attached to the characters, right? And it made it Mm -hmm. hard to actually sit down and read anything. That's why I've been still uh, staring at my collection of the Game of Thrones books. Because I'm like, I know what happens, but I don't. I'm not ready to hurt, Tia. I'm not ready to hurt. But um, I think. Oh, you have to. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, you're saying that I I need I gotta read them. I know, but um, (laughs) I was. I used to. I remember going to the midnight releases. And waiting, like, oh, I got to get the book. And then I'd stay up. I'd try to get my mom to let me stay home from school so I could read it all night. And I, she she would get up in the morning, and she'd be like, oh, how far did you get? And I'm like, I'm like three-fourths through the book. That is like, <laughs> and she was like, good God. She was like, I don't know what to do with you. We literally just spent like $20 on this book. It was supposed to last you. And she's, I'm like, I'm sorry, Mom, but I am not sorry. So I think I could definitely read 
which I always get confused because it goes under, like, two names. There's, like, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, I think it was either the, the book or the movie that had a little bit of a difference there. But I would definitely read especially the first book again to just, like, experience the wonderment of it all over again. Maybe you should do the thing where next time you have to go visit Aaron on one of those long drives, actually download one of the audibles or the ebook. Oh, pretty that's much. a good idea. I, I, that is a you know what, Tia, you smart sometimes. <laughs> well, that I was going to say that's how I read American Gods. I didn't actually physically read the book. I just got. I bought the ebook and listened to it. And it actually is, it really feels, and apparently there's like studies that say that listening to an ebook is the same as reading an ebook. I mean, reading a book pretty much, like there is really no difference as, as to how your brain takes it in. So it's not like, oh, ebooks are ruining books or something. Apparently, like, there's a psychology to it that is essentially the same the way your brain processes it, um, which I've been I think thinking. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was just saying it does kill me how people almost go a little hipster, like, like, I can't believe you didn't read the book. And I'm like, yeah, there is a difference between sitting down with a good copy in your hand. But if it gives people to read then, like, it, like, it, like, increase their knowledge of literature, then why be so, like, gatekeeping on how you read the books? Well, that's the thing is that I've been staring, really quick, I've been staring at the Jim Hopper book on my bookshelf, and I've gotten maybe, like, 10 pages in, just because I don't often just sit down and just read, right? So it actually... It is actually available on Google, the ebook for fourteen dollars, and I've been thinking about purchasing it. But then I'm like, I spent like close to thirty dollars on that book, and not to read it, just to turn around and spend fourteen dollars on the ebook. But I really want to listen to it, so I may this paycheck just kind of break down and do it, just so that I have something to listen to on my drive to and from work. You know, that's a fair point. At least you always have the hard copy. Uh, I feel like yeah. I'm sitting here. Yeah, I'm going to use the podcast to be like, Tia, do it. <laughs> I am, I am, because I actually really enjoyed uh, listening to, say, American Gods, and then prior to that, I was listening to American Psycho, uh, which, holy shit, like, if you thought that the movie was meticulous and all that jazz, the book is even crazier. But, yeah, you know what? You, use this podcast as a reminder for me to actually next paycheck buy the ebook for that Jim Hopper book because I do really want to look into it. It's very interesting what I've read so far. But, uh, Brittany, I love that you put the Harry Potter franchise down here. I'm sure that there are plenty of people who are listening that could completely relate to how you feel about this. So, good job. Um, I'm going to hit the I'm going to hit the number five, and I am going to, again, like, it's so funny that this is, like, a comfort food movie, but I could literally put it on and watch it over and over and over again because I still, to this day, after all the movies that came out, still think it is the single best movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it is going to be Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, oh, and, and 
and I've and I've thought about this, right? Because Endgame and Infinity War are obviously up there too. But after time has gone on and I've had moments to digest everything, I still rank this movie as my number one movie in the Marvel universe. I love this movie. First of all, I feel like it changed everything. The dynamic of what Marvel movies were, the storytelling, it completely shook up the whole Captain America franchise, uh, gave it a more grittier feel, that spy type of feel that you have to it. It obviously introduced that S.H.I.E.L.D. had been, like, that HYDRA was sleeping in S.H.I.E.L.D. pretty much this whole time. I love the dynamic of all of it. And you know what? I, okay, uh, really quick, I'm going to break it down, right? Because you know that I am, uh, well, you and me, and this is how we met, that I'm a fan fiction writer, right? And I even yeah. remember... And I even remember after the first Avengers, it's like, okay, well, how is Steve Rogers going to acclimate with modern day? And we obviously saw in the first Avengers that he was kind of, you know, uh, clueless. But I like in Winter Soldier that it was like, you know, Steve's a smart guy. Like, he's not going to be that clueless. Obviously, he's learning, but he's adapting better than people thought, right? So you have that aspect to it. I loved him being introduced to Sam Wilson. I mean, that's the best way to start off a freaking movie. On your left, on your left. And he's like, don't do it. Don't do it. You know? <laughs> um, and I love that about it. I love the whole, it definitely increased uh, my shipping of Steve Rogers and Natasha because their dynamic was great together. Obviously, you have Frank Grillo as Brock Rumlow in there. Um, and I, again, I just love the whole spy thriller about it. You know, you can't trust anyone, right? You know, Shield, who Steve Rogers trusted so much, finding out that it's really Hydra, the group that he thought he eliminated back in the 40s. And, you know, can you trust Fury? You think Fury's dead, and no, then he's not. And then all everyone's trying to kill him, essentially. His neighbor, who he thought it was just this cute woman, is really Sharon Carter, not only a freaking badass agent, but also the niece of Peggy Carter. And then, of course, finding out that his buddy Bucky, who he thought died all those years ago, not only was alive, but a brainwashed soldier for Hydra. The whole thing was like high-energy, constant. I so I just think to me it's like more sophisticated than any other Marvel movie out there. And it's the first movie that the Russo brothers were involved in in Marvel. And clearly uh, Marvel saw that they were capable of so much considering not only did they go on to do so many other movies, but that it, the responsibility of huge movies like Infinity War and Endgame were given to them based on pretty much their start in Winter Soldier. So to me, this is a comfort movie of the highest degree because I can continue watching this over and over again and still get excited about it because I still think that, first of all, uh, first of all, I did a bunch of first of all, but in addition, there are so many fantastic fight moves you get to see Cass get a little more down and dirty. Natasha's fight moves are awesome. I love every aspect of this. Falcon and his whole, like, Falcon just met 
cap pretty much, but he is already willing to like go to the next step for him, become essentially a wanted man, help harbor these two who are now considered fugitives and fight against, you know, fight side by side with Captain America. And that just goes to show so much of, you know, Sam Wilson. I will say that people were upset that Bucky didn't get the shield at Endgame, but to me, I'm like, how could you not give it to Sam Wilson when he is literally, like, since day one of meeting Cap, decided this is who I'm going to follow. If they're shooting at you, they're going to be shooting at me, too. Love that. Um, And one of my favorite scenes, of course, is when Cap gives his big speech and Brock Rumlow is trying to force the guys in IT essentially to do what he wants. And Sharon Carter just, you know, points the gun at Brock and she's like, I take my orders from Cap. And I'm like, fuck yeah. (laughs) And I'm telling you, nothing makes me happier than the fact that in the upcoming Falcon and Winter Soldier series that, Emily Van Camp will be reprising her role as Sharon Carter because I always thought that the Marvel Cinematic Universe after Winter Soldier did her so dirty with just making her a romance figure when we clearly saw in Civil War that she could go toe-to-toe with Bucky. Because remember that one scene when both Natasha and Sharon were kicking Bucky's ass. So I'm like, She's capable, and I want to see more of her. So Winter Soldier is going to be my number five entry here. Brittany, I've blabbed enough about my love for this movie. What are your thoughts? I was going to say with uh, Falcon, he's very much the epitome of, I I literally just met you, and I would die for you. Yes. (laughs) And I'm obsessed with that kind of friendship. I mean, uh, Wish I had friends like that. Pointedly mm. stares at Tia. No, I'm joking. But no, uh, I, you know, and I have such more of a appreciation for it too because I've been so excited about uh, about the Black Widow movie coming out and my obsession with uh, the Red Guardian and how much I wanted to see him. That whenever uh, Winter Soldier came on the other day when I was visiting my parents. I had to. I was observing it more. I was taking it in way more, and I was like, "Man, this is a really good freaking movie." Um, now, commence my obsession with Alexi again. Uh, I am not ashamed. I'm going to well, appreciate. But, before uh, you go on, before you go on, I really feel I'm hoping that the Black Widow movie has that feel like Winter Soldier, very much a spy espionage type of movie. I hope so, because that's Black Widow's whole, like, you know, that's her whole mood. Yeah. Black Widow has a big dick energy of, like, the highest order. Like, she... When she rolls up in that... When she rolls up in that Ferrari or Corvette or something, and she's like, I'm looking for a fossil. Can you point me to the Smithsonian or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) She's so snarky. I feel like, um... Endgame did her dirty, though. I'm sorry. Endgame did do her dirty. They they had, like, no impact to anybody that's not seen it. But, you know, uh, spoiler alert. But I was like, man, I was like, her death was overshadowed quick. Like, Mm -hmm. there was, I was like, 
oh, Black Widow died? And then it was, like, onto a bunch of stuff. And then it's like, of course we're sad that Tony died. But can we talk about the fact, like, give Black Widow at least five seconds more than what they gave her? Because I was like, oh, no. And then they brought back Gamora after they're like, oh, you can't, you know, bring them back. And it's like, oh, you brought them from a different timeline. Okay, then go get Black Widow and bring her from a different timeline. And we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You even brought Loki back. I'm like, and you go, well, you know, you can't bring a soul back. Gamora is literally back. She's literally back. Can we talk about but that? It's not, but it's not the same Gamora. It's not the Gamora from Infinity War. It's the Gamora from 2014, before the events of even the first Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that that's what that people... Hmm? Then do that with Black Widow. Listen, I agree. Hawkeye should have died, especially with the allegations that are coming out against Jeremy Renner right now. Y'all, and I'm using y'all right now because I don't use that word, but y'all should have thought about that and freaking done it to Blackwood, uh, done it to Hawkeye instead. Jeremy Renner has been asking for way too big of a paycheck this whole entire time, and I bet you there's people listening that are going to be like, no, Hawkeye, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, no, okay? He... Black Widow is more of a badass and has more capabilities than freaking Hawkeye does. Because it is literally well, proven it is literally proven that Natasha uh herself has some sort of serum in her, uh, because of say the red room and how she was brought up and I believe they said they're they're even going to touch upon that in the Black Widow movie. So I'm like, you guys should have gotten rid of Hawkeye and just kept Black Widow. Just saying. Just saying. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. What allegations are against Jeremy Renner? Oh, there was um a few weeks ago, apparently, like, his ex-wife said that there was a time that they got into a really bad fight or something like that, and that he literally took out one of his guns and put it in his mouth in front of her and said that he was going to kill himself. And I saw, like, oh. all these things on Twitter about how, you know, oh, well, he didn't turn his gun on her. It's like, who said he couldn't have? If he took his gun out, who says he couldn't have? And even so, even if he did say just kill himself, because then you had all these other people who were like, oh, well, that would have just been hurting himself. No, 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 no. That would have been yeah, traumatizing for her as well. Wish. Yeah, so I'm just, and again, the fact that, like, I'm going on a rant right now, but it pissed me off like nobody's business that freaking Jeremy Renner sat there and complained after the first Avengers movie that he only got, like, 10 minutes of screen time. And that's why we had to waste, like, a half hour in Age of Ultron on his freaking family because he made us think about it. And I'm like, why did they even accommodate him? Apparently, the whole reason why they got rid of uh, Terrence Howard after the first Iron Man movie is because he was asking for money, and they quickly replaced him with Don Cheadle, which, don't get me wrong, loved Don Cheadle and preferred Don Cheadle in that role. But, okay, they quickly replaced Terrence Howard. Why couldn't they have quickly replaced Hawkeye? No one would have made us think about it, least of all me. So it's like you got Natasha there, you got Scarlett Johansson there, who's been in the universe since Iron Man 2 and should have gotten her own movie way long ago. I'm pretty sure she probably didn't make a think about it. 
just was happy to be involved and you do her dirty. That's I'm getting off my high horse right there with that, but that's my opinion. That's my opinion and I'm sticking to it. No, I agree. Uh, you know, Black Widow got done dirty with a lot of stuff, but Jeremy Renner, I'm just I'm not a huge fan of watching him. I, I no. you know, I'm like, okay, you were kind of badass than the other, but he, it, it's like they try too hard. Well, the thing is, it's like he tries too hard, and again, if you think about like whatever about the abilities, but okay, so uh, literally on Tuesday, Disney Plus is launching, right? I don't believe that the Marvel the Marvel shows are coming out until either 2020 or 2021. And you have a bunch of shows that are promised, right? We have uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I'm super excited about, right? You got that, Loki, WandaVision, uh, She-Hulk, Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, and the Hawkeye series, right? If I have to put all of those in order, the one that I am least excited about is the Hawkeye series. I definitely will be watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, definitely be watching Loki, even be watching WandaVision, even though the name is fucking terrible. Um, it still sounds like a really cool concept, and I'm interested in seeing She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, and Moon Knight. But Hawkeye, I really am like, I don't really even want to watch this show because I don't care about him. Yeah, unless there's a good villain in it, then we're all then we're all good. Well, apparently they said that the show is going to be about him essentially passing the baton to Kate Bishop, who in the comics becomes the next Hawkeye. So I'm like, all right, I'll watch it if that's the case. But, like, get rid of him after the first episode. No kidding. I agree. I agree. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, that was my long spiel about all of it. Love the Winter Soldier. Still the best. And the fact – oh, also, really quick, they are currently filming the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. Uh, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie are back at it, and I love their dynamic in Civil War. So I'm really excited to see those two. And the fact that I believe um, that Sam Wilson will have his own Captain America suit in the show, which is funny that it's called Falcon and Winter Soldier because I'm pretty sure that he is throwing away, obviously, the Falcon identity and becoming the next Captain America. So shouldn't it technically Captain be Falcon. called... Captain Falcon. Oh, my God. <laughs> Imagine it was called that. Captain Falcon and his buddy Winter Soldier. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What's it? Uh, Falcon Punch. <laughs> if he doesn't do that once in the show, we riot. <laughs> no, we riot. I'm already rioting. I already have my pitchfork. <laughs> I'm so excited. I can't tell you that I am so excited about that show. The whole concept seems really cool. Um, but yeah, I could talk about that for like another hour, but that is not the purpose of this top 10. We're talking about the top 10 comfort food movies. So Brittany, you get the next one with number four. What's funny is I thought you were about to take mine. But you didn't, so we're good. Whoa. I'm going to – no, it's because when you said Marvel, I was like, oh, she's about to say it. She's about to say it. But, no, I have my own Marvel movie, and that is the first Iron Man. And yes. I – says Because it's the one that started it all, Tia. It started everything. It was uh, – I'm such a 70s 
sucker for origin stories. So, you know, you have, you know, playboy philanthropist that, um, that, you know, he's doing his own thing. He's kind of goofy. Uh, he, you know, he's not exactly morally sound. He's made a lot of questionable decisions. He's pretty well hated. And when the terrorists get him and, you know, he's, you know, he gets those shards in his chest. Uh, I think they're in his, are they in his heart or are they, I can't remember. I know that that's supposed to keep them from reaching his heart and killing him, but when he makes the original uh, Iron Man suit and having to bust out of it, I was like, this is so cool. And just him learning how to, you know, and for, you know, being a kid watching it, I was like, oh my God, the graphics are so good. The animation's so good. The CGI is so good. <laughs> Everything's so good. And just being so excited for it. Um, i trying to think. And, okay, can we talk about the end scene whenever he's, like, going to lie and they're like, oh, and he's like, I am Iron Man. And I'm like, oh, that throwback to the last movie. That throwback to Oh, it's like that is everything I needed in life. And just him learning how to fly, how to do it. Um, I think that, you know, that did begin, you know, when people are like, man, there's no good villains in the Marvel Universe that almost, like, started the curse. Because uh, I can't remember his name. He wasn't terrible, but I remember they were like, that movie's amazing, but the the villain was lacking. And I I still kind of feel that way. Yeah, the villain was obviously lacking. It was all about Tony Stark. Yeah. And um, that's how... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just like, I, I heard you pause, and I was like, wait, is she wanting me to speak? But what were you going to say? No, no, I, I didn't know if you wanted me to give my two cents on the movie or if you wanted to say more or something. I didn't want to interrupt. All I can say more about the movie is just that I could probably watch it a million more times and be okay with it, but then I'll I'll secretly weep to myself and pretend that Tony never died and he still has his family. <laughs> um, I think even though it came out in 2008, it still stands up to this day. Um, to me, nothing really looks that much different except for the fact that, like, maybe there was a little bit more of the practicalness with his suit as opposed to it being CGI now. But I love I love it. I love the story of him having essentially been an arms dealer and that scene where he's sitting there and his freaking own bomb lands right next to him. And what does it say? Stark Industries. Oh, um, God. You know, and the whole there's so many great scenes in that. You know, where he's like sitting there, uh, you know, and the, that big explosion happens behind him. He just has his arms like all spread out. Um, by the way, really funny if you go back, they mentioned MySpace in that freaking. So that does. Oh no. It a <laughs> but yeah, no, it's great. Um, him getting this like new lease on life, essentially, because before he was like. Remember that one scene where uh, he obviously slept with that one woman and Pepper Potts is like, you know, there and the woman's like, oh, I can't believe that you're still, you know, just his assistant. And she's like, oh, no, I do more, like taking out the trash and just staring at her. And it's like, you know, because Tony Stark was very much a little man for back in the day. And, um, you know, just seeing him realize that, he didn't want to be in the type of industry that he was 
in anymore, that he can do so much more. Um, and then obviously finding out the evil plot behind all of that, that I think he was supposed to be intentionally captured. And so, yeah, I, I still love it. I still think it holds up like so much. It's uh, definitely the best one in the Iron Man trilogy. And I remember at the end of that, when he's standing in front of the reporters, you have to realize like all the movies we watched before that with superheroes, the whole cover, you know, making sure that you have a secret identity, that was huge. Spider-Man never revealed who he was. Batman never revealed who he was. I mean, we had that one moment, remember, in The Dark Knight where Bruce Wayne was ready to reveal who he was, but then Harvey Dent instead decided to say he was Batman. But it was like no no superhero did that. That was unheard of. So the fact that, like, you're sitting there in the theater and you're like, is he going to say it right now? And it just ends with him like, I'm Iron Man. And you're like, holy shit. He just revealed who he was. And then the end credit scene with Nick Fury coming to him and he's like, I need to talk to you about the Avengers initiative. You're like, it's like looking back, it's like, holy shit. Like, yeah, you thought like, okay, it's going to have a few movies, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that like that single movie like spawned a whole entire universe to it and it's still going strong to this day is absolutely amazing um i love the first iron man movie i still think it's fantastic seeing him just discover everything uh i mean to me the only thing that changed about robert downey jr is that his hair was a little darker at that point like go back and look his hair was definitely like they dyed it like way too black um, but besides that, he looks exactly the freaking same. And yes, I, uh, we can all pretend that Tony Stark is still alive. Yeah, I'm definitely pretending he's still alive. I don't know what you're talking about. He never died. You know, at first when I watched Endgame and he said, I am Iron Man, like, I don't know why it didn't like click in my head that that was what he said at the end of the first Iron Man. I'm like, holy shit. If that is not, like, a love letter to fans, I don't know what the fuck else is, right? <laughs> like, holy well, shit. Well, I'm obviously serenaded. <laughs> oh, my God. I am. I am. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you like funny. the mic drop. <laughs> you definitely mic drop that shit. I'm glad that you put this down. It's really good. Um, Again, definitely the best one in the trilogy. You know, that's the thing is that he was such a good Tony Stark, but I think that especially the Iron Man franchise really suffered from the stigma of Marvel doesn't have any good villains because none of those villains are rememberable. He needed something like Loki. Loki stole the show. That's why they ended up putting him in so much stuff. Well, I think that they couldn't, that, you know, it's like Loki was obviously, is obviously great, and that's why we love him, but it almost was like they suffered a little from having someone so great like Loki so early on in the whole universe, because it was like, how do you live up to that? I can probably count, on, considering there's like 20-something movies, I can count on my hand the actual, like, good villains that weren't Loki, and it's hard. It's really hard. No, I, I, I agree on the subject of the villains because I literally sit there and go, okay, Hela was good. Was she still a part of the Thor universe? 
Uh, Loki and Thanos are about the only ones I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, um, if I have to think really quick, I would say Loki, Hella, Thanos, obviously. Um, I'm going to throw in also Zemo from uh, Civil War, just because even though he didn't, like, say physically fight and Civil War was much more of the, you know, team clashing with each other, he was able to do that. He was able to, like, pin the, you know, Avengers against each other. So I'm like, that's pretty villainous, you know? That's pretty, like, you know, badass, you know, as far as... That's pretty premeditated. Right, right. But the site, like, Ultron was definitely not rememberable. Um, and I like Ronan. I thought that if they would have, like, done more with Ronan, he could have been, like, really, really good. But, yeah, like, not a whole lot of villains. Like, I know a lot of people like Killmonger, but even him, I'm like, was he really that good of a villain? He was a good character, but I cert- but then they killed him off. That's the problem with Marvel. They kill off their villains in one movie. It's like, hey, keep them around a little. I think it's because Loki lasted a lot longer, too, because he was halfway redeemable, and he mm-hmm. was more or less fighting against his inner badness, his innate badness. I think it's like a, the nurture versus nature, and he's had a good mix of both of them. Well, you have that apparently in the comics that, like, Loki constantly goes back and forth, so it's like you have at least the source material to go by, but all the other ones are pretty black and white, you know, as far as, like, villains go. Um, but, yeah. If the comics killed off every villain that they ever had right off the bat, there would be no comics. I feel like hopefully they learn their lesson moving forward um, with their villains, you know, just because, well, okay. And then also, I really, you know me, I love Corey Stoll. I didn't think that Yellow Jacket was that bad of a villain. I felt like if they would have at least kept them around, you could have had them, say, a permanent villain to combat against Ant-Man. We're having a third Ant-Man that's going to be in development. Who's going to be the freaking villain, you know? So no. I, I don't I don't understand that. But I hope that they learn their lesson moving forward um, with all the other Marvel movies that we can expect. Hopefully, Brittany, you'll have more Red Guardian in the future. <laughs> I, I, I am very much hoping so. I think we talked about this at another podcast, but I said, let's say the Black Widow movie is really good, right? Let's say it does really well. Um, You don't need to necessarily keep Scarlett Johansson around because they're introducing another Black Widow, Yelena or something. Say she's really good. You can continue a Black Widow franchise, just have her be the new Black Widow, right? Take over the mantle because I feel like new... This new MCU is all about passing the mantles. Have her be the mantle. You can keep Red Guardian. You can keep him around. Say he gets rejuvenated, revigorated, and, you know, he's not such a washout anymore. You can have that still. I'm rooting for you, Brittany. I'm rooting that you still have more Red Guardian moving forward. Because he's supposed to be, like, he has, he could pull a Black Widow and end up actually, like, becoming a hero like he can have a change of heart they forgave black widow for all the people she killed so why not do it for him 
well, the thing is, is that he's supposed to be the Russian version of Captain America. That means you have someone who has, you know, super strength pretty much. And that is going to be something that you can contend with. And we all know David Harbour's like, what, six foot four or something? He's a big, imposing man. You can continue having someone fight. Imagine Sam Wilson's Captain America fighting up against David Harbour's Red Guardian. I can see it in my head, and it would be pretty badass. I I kind of just need to finally see the freaking trailer. I just need to see him in the outfit. <laughs> and you know, they're crazy about things not leaking like that. Because oh, yeah, remember when we went to New York Comic Con and they had like the infrared things to even see like a camera being on on somebody's phone to make sure that they weren't recording. I have to assume that San Diego Comic Con would be even worse. Marvel is amazing with not leaking things, which is terrible for us fans because we're like, we need to know more. But I heard rumors, and again, these are not like validated rumors or anything like that, but apparently uh, we might get a trailer, say, sometime in either December or January. The Black Widow movie is not till May. They're definitely not going to do a trailer this early. It's way too early for that. Okay, since it's coming out in May, all I want for my birthday is a Red Guardian pop. That's all I need. <laughs> Hopefully they make one. Uh, listen, oh, I'm better. Still, listen, I'm still sitting here waiting for a trailer for season two of Narcos Mexico, and apparently the show comes out in freaking February. All right, I need a trailer, but um, <laughs> let's move on because we still got three spots to go. I'll get the number three. And this is a very much a oldie but goodie for me. Definitely a comfort food movie, considering I watched it a shit ton when I was a teenager. Um, it is going to be the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I don't care how poorly this movie did, how much people probably have forgotten about this movie. I sat there for years, years waiting for a freaking sequel to this movie because it is like the Victorian era Avengers. You have all these all you have all these great literary characters, right, from different books, such as The Invisible Man, Dorian Gray, um, you have a uh, freaking Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, you know, you have all of these freaking characters from different literary novels that suddenly come together and they have to like fight against this terrorist organization and I freaking loved it it was like the epitome of steampunk very much in that steampunk era of movies that we had going on um and you have this whole story of uh you know Sean Connery's character, right, who, you know, was supposed to be, like, the best of the best, but he retired, and he was living in Africa and everything, and I love, you know, he gets approached by this one person who's like, where's your patriotism towards England? And he goes, God save the queen, and everyone in the bar is like, God save the queen. And he's like, yeah, that's as, about as patriotic as they get. That's as patriotic as they get. 
<laughs> you know. Um, but then him obviously teaming up with all these, you know, monsters essentially. You have the vampire lady, again, the invisible man, Dorian Gray, and uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I'm sorry, I love that the transformations of Dr. Jekyll into Mr. Hyde done pretty much all with flash photography. Thought that was so badass. And you have this crew that doesn't trust each other, is extremely dysfunctional because none of them are necessarily good people. Like Captain Nemo is like on like the list of say pirates to watch out for and at some point they see him, you know, praying to a Hindu god and they're like, Isn't that the god of war and destruction and death? You know, can we really trust him? None of them freaking trust each other. There's obviously a rat in the whole thing, and everyone thinks it's the Invisible Man, but it ends up being Dorian Gray. Um, of course it was Dorian Gray. He's an asshole. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, that one scene where he gets, like, shot up a bunch of times, and the bullets all, like, like start coming out of his chest, and they're like, what are you? And he's like, I'm complicated. Um freaking but the whole shit is so cool and like the you know I don't know the whole thing is so funny there's at some point where you know a car rolls up and Sean Connery's character is like what is this and Nemo's like it's called an automobile (laughs) so hilarious but the whole thing of them like trying to turn on each other you know they have that okay really quick right remember in the first Avengers how the whole thing was like Loki wanted to get Bruce Banner to turn to the Hulk. Like, you know, that's your wild card. That's what, you know, I have to do. Well, the whole thing was that with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, at some point, you know, they play a recording that's sent to them, and there's a low frequency that only Dr. Jekyll can hear, and it ends up turning him into Mr. Hyde, who ends up going on this, like, insanely, like, you know, ravenous mayhem, like, you know, thing and destroying shit so it's like come on like there's so many parallels I love this whole shit I loved the action sequences to it and just the whole entire like story with it um and how freaking Sean Connery's character dies at the end but they had that whole thing like oh Africa will never let him die and you even see at the end of the movie like his grave shaking and it's like they clearly set up for a sequel they just didn't do that well in the box office, which clearly meant that they weren't going to make, you know, they weren't going to spend money on a sequel, which was so freaking tragic to me because I love this shit so much. I love finding out that it was Dorian Gray who was the bad guy the whole time. I love how Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde internally, like, work together to help everything. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any last Thing that I could throw out about this freaking movie just because I watched it a million times growing up. I just love, I love this bullshit, man. Like, I love this movie. I don't care what anyone says about it. This is certainly my comfort food. I can turn it on today and still enjoy it. You know who I was obsessed with as a kid? Mm. The Invisible Man, but also Captain Nemo. I love Captain Nemo. I loved him because he didn't take anyone's shit. He was like, you're on top of my ship, and I'm in fucking charge. I like how he's like, I'm a captain. I'm a ship, you know. Other dude might be leader, but this is my ship, and I'm the captain of it. So, suck it. That movie yeah. was really good. I remember watching it. I remember uh, renting it to watch with some friends. 
And they were like, this is awful. And I'm like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. No, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. It was a fun ride. Uh, Apparently, though, Sean Connery hated it enough to retire, which makes me sad. I know. Can you believe his last role was the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? I mean, listen, there were complications, right? Because obviously everyone in it practically was British, except for, say, Sean Connery, who's uh, Scottish. And then obviously you have the American character, Tom Sawyer. And everyone's like, why is he thrown in here? Because this movie actually, believe it or not, is based on a comic. And he's not in the comic. But they said that when they were, like, testing it, right, that they said that it wouldn't appeal to Americans because there wasn't an American character in it, which I'm like, nowadays, we're like, we love the British. Like, Have you seen Harry Potter? Have you seen Harry Potter? Have you seen Fleabag? Have you watched anything? Because we don't give a shit if there's an American character in there. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, Peaky Blinders. Yeah, give us all the Brits. Like, I don't know why they need to throw in that American character. Like, what dumbasses were sitting there going, oh, there's no one that's American here. Bruh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I agree. Sometimes I've spent too much time on Twitch, where my the lingo of like the the the, uh, the phrasings that come from it, and how many times I hear "bruh" in a day, I'm like my brain just sometimes goes "bruh" to like silly things. But yeah, I I don't know. I just love this character. I uh, love this movie. I obviously was very much obsessed with Dr. Jekyll, played by Jason Fleming. I just thought that his character was so cool. The fact that he had uh, very much this internal uh, conflict with himself, you know, because the whole thing was that obviously he knew how dangerous Mr. Hyde was, but I liked how they made it almost where even though he say wasn't Mr. Hyde all the time you had Mr. Hyde in his mind telling him you know take the serum just take it it'll be fine you'll feel better after that you know and him always just struggling with that and then having to learn essentially to uh again very much like a Bruce Banner and Hulk you know Bruce needed to stop fighting Hulk he needed to embrace him, and that is essentially what happened with Dr. Jekyll's character. He needed to embrace Mr. Hyde. I don't know. I really liked this freaking movie. Um, I still thought that it deserved a sequel because there was so much that was left uh, unanswered, and I think that they talked about a sequel forever, there was something that then they were thinking about rebooting it, but then I think that, that even now that's dead in the water. So I don't know if we'll ever see another League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but oh, still, my comfort food, 100%. Was that your sexual awakening to you? <laughs> it, it might have been. I think I was, what, like maybe 14, 13 watching that movie? It could have been. It could have been. I mean, you, you know what? Have... I'm here for it. You had Dr. Jekyll, you had, you know, Dorian Gray, who was very pretty. Um, by the way, I love that the vampire lady was the one who kills him by pretty much just, like, stare at your freaking picture. Um, but, yeah, I love this shit. So. Terrifying. <laughs> I know, he turns into, like, this massive corpse or something like that, which 
speaking about Dorian Gray, uh, Ben Barnes was Dorian Gray uh, years ago in a movie, right? And apparently Ben Barnes also uh, narrated the ebook of Dorian Gray. So for anyone out there who anyone out there who needs more Ben Barnes content, he narrated Dorian Gray, so you can listen to it on Audible. Which this uh, you know you just need to be sponsored by Audible. I was gonna say this uh this podcast is not sponsored by Audible, but if Audible wants to give me <laughs> but a it could be. <laughs> but if they want to give me a sponsorship, I will gladly accept it. But uh Brittany, what is your number two on our top ten? So okay, number two would technically be my number one. So I'm gonna be going with, uh, and I hope you've seen it, but Matilda. I think every 90s kid grew up watching Matilda. Uh, Have you seen it? Of course I've seen Matilda. Okay. Uh, That was, to me, like, my first introduction to, like, a superhero film almost. Because you have Matilda, who's grown up with, like, very, you know, I think they underplay quite how abusive that relationship that her family was, but they literally gave her up at the end. They were running from the cops, and they treated her like, well, like shit. And they, like, preferred the son. We even see at the beginning of the movie, they don't even strap her, like, baby carrier or whatever in. It just rolls around the back because they're like, oh, man, you know, we had a baby. God, that was so expensive. But Matilda learning she had powers, and I always felt like I related so much with her because I loved reading books so much, and her crying over a book one time because it was so sad, and I was like, I I relate with you, Matilda. I've read so many sad books that I just sat there and wept over in the end, and I just loved her having powers, and of course, we were in the scene where she like kind of flicks her fingers at things, and they're almost like dancing, and I was like, well, I want powers. I, I wish I could do this. I mean, I love my family, but, geez, that would be amazing. And just uh, her, uh, what was her name? Was it Miss Hunchable? Like, Crunchable? No, sure. I'm trying to the remember weird, what her. The weird, like, Nazi lady teacher? Yeah, the Nazi lady. And she terrified me. Oh, get locked in the chokey, which is a closet with freaking nails in it. Oh. And, like, and like smoke was, like, somehow coming out of there. I don't know if it was, like, a radiator or what. But that terrified me. And I was like, but she does so show how, like, you know, her and Miss, um, I'm trying to remember her, Miss Honey, I think was her name. Um and how, you know, they both grew up with abusive uh, home lives because, you know, it's alluded that uh, crazy Nazi lady killed her father. And uh, Magnus, that was his name because I always thought Magnus was such a cool name. And then we have the Transformer Magnus. And I don't know, I just had such fond memories of it. And I remember, once again, it was one of those movies I watched with my mom over and over again. She'd be like, you want to put on Matilda? And I'm surprised that that VHS tape is not utterly melted from the amount of times I rewinded it and hit play on it over and over again. But yeah, that's going to be my number two. I love Matilda. 
that's definitely because as a kid you're like I want power like this girl is literally controlling everything with her mind I want that that's obviously cool as shit right um yeah. I love I love Matilda um there's yeah that I totally forgot about the closet of nails very very dark like holy shit I mean what kind of school was this that's terrible um but you know, and then wasn't there the scene where they made that poor kid like eat that whole entire chocolate cake, even though he, like the entire confection, right? Uh, that literally was made with blood, sweat, and tears, um, uh-huh. which was disgusting. I mean, I was like, oh my god, that poor kid, stop eating, stop eating. Um, but yeah, uh. If you remember, yeah, if you remember, like, at the end, they really, like, gave her up. She was just, like, it was almost one of those things where it's, like, do one good thing by your daughter and just sign the paperwork over so that she can actually have a better home life because you two clearly can't provide it for her. Um, which I think wasn't, wasn't Danny DeVito, her father. Yeah, he was the dad. He was the dad. He felt taller in that somehow. But I don't know if Danny DeVito's just shrunk. But, you know, uh, not, I don't know if it's sad. Uh, it, I guess it is sad. You know, I think the girl that played Matilda uh, maybe played in, like, one more thing afterwards. But she said that, like, ch- children actors were so, like, exploited. And it was mm-hmm. so rough that she was burnt on it and never wanted to act again after Matilda and the others. And I was like, well, that's depressing. Well, yeah, I mean, she's on Twitter right now, and she very much, like, I think has, like, I think now she's accepted it more, like, that she's the girl from Matilda. Um, I think that she kind of, like, struggled in her life to really accept that that was, like, the one thing that she was known for, pretty much. But I don't think that she has, say, any... I think at this point now, she is very much, like, accepting that she is on social media and people obviously know her, but I don't think that she has any sort of desire to go back into acting, which then also begs the question, what has she been doing this whole time? Does she have, like, a normal job, or has she just been sitting back, like, collecting paychecks from how much everyone just loves Matilda? Well, now I'm curious, too. You got me looking, Tia. You got me looking. (laughs) Listen, like, if the crew from Friends could probably just sit back and just accept the money that they continuously get for Friends rewatches, like Santa Matilda. But, yeah, I love this movie. This definitely was one of my childhood favorite movies, simply for the fact that it was, as you said, probably one of our, our first introductions to a female superhero. And I wanted her powers so badly. You know, it looks like that she's a. It still has her occupation as actress slash voice actress slash writer. But you know who it has her as her cousin, and that's a random fact I did not know. Her cousin is Ben Shapiro, the politician slash uh, podcaster guy. Oh wow, that's extremely like. Who would have thought? Random? That? <laughs> no. Extremely random. I do know that she wrote a book. I do remember seeing something along those lines that she wrote a book. So she's probably just, you know, chilling with that and all that. Um, I mean, what does her filmography even say? I mean, I can't imagine she's been in anything lately. Well, now I'm looking. Let me see filmography. Uh, 
Because she stopped, okay, she stopped acting, like, uh, in film in 2000, which makes sense, right? Because there was, she did three more movies after Matilda. And then uh, television, she really stopped, but in 2016 to 2019, she's been doing some voice acting. Uh, okay, I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, voice acting is now, I feel like. Yeah, she's been doing a lot of, like, I think she does, like, she has a reoccurring role in BoJack Horseman, and she's a voice actress in Big Hero 6, the series. Uh, and apparently she's done some, like, internet shows. So, mm-hmm. like, I think, like, podcasts or, like, uh, YouTube series and stuff, but she she getting back into it. I think she's starting to accept it again. Well, you know what? That's a good thing, right? At least so. But I uh, I love Matilda. I love that you put that on this list. It's certainly my freaking childhood here, and I could not be happier. So, Brittany, amazing job with that. Um, we are going to go – what am I doing right now? We are going to go through the rest of the list really quick before we hit our number one, and it is going to be – we went through 10 Things I Hate About You, A Knight's Tale, Forrest Gump, Frank, Harry Potter series, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Iron Man 1, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Matilda, and before I go to my number one, I actually have to switch from my headset to my phone because my headset is dying. So, Brittany, regale the audience for a second. Regale. Well, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I guess we could talk about the weekend. I had uh, my boyfriend surprise me in the middle of the night, which utterly terrified me because all I hear is the cats growling angrily. And I was sitting there like, ah, oh, I'm about to get murdered. And then it's like, no, it's surprise. It's your boyfriend you haven't seen in like a month, uh, almost a month and a half. So, you know, that was exciting. And especially not getting murdered was especially exciting. And now I can imagine that that was especially exciting. (laughs) What did you say? I said I feel like that definitely was especially exciting. Yeah, I don't like getting murdered. Uh, So that was exciting. And I got my new streaming set up. And now the cats won't leave it alone. And apparently they think it's like their new high-rise apartment. So that's always (laughs) fun. Well, I am switched to my phone now, so thank you for taking over for a second. And I do want to say really quick before I say our number one is that I do very much like your new headset. Oh, thank you, my my, my kitty headset. Yes, yes. Um, But while we have the time, uh, my number one is probably not going to be like the traditional comfort, but it's a comfort to me. I also just want to put it down because it's still – my favorite movie of all time so I have to put it out there and my number you're gonna laugh Brittany my number one is Fight Club have you ever seen oh Fight Club oh my goodness yes okay I don't know why like I love this movie so much um everything about it, like I could absorb this movie I could just continuously just read into this movie, discover new things over and over and over again about this. You have Edward Norton and Brad Pitt and 
the whole thing. Like, you, you hear about Fight Club, right? And you have the whole, you know, quotes, you know, rule number one, you don't talk about Fight Club. And you think, oh, it's probably just a movie about fighting, right? No. It's like this whole psychological movie that is like almost like about conditioning, right? You have Brad Pitt's character who is consistently talking about how we are such a consumer nation, right? We cons- we buy things that we don't want, that we don't have the money for, you know, blah, 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 all of this. I mean, the whole messages that are continuously in this movie. And if you don't realize, like, Helena Bona Carter is in this movie. Um, Meatloaf is in this movie. Freaking Jared Leto is in this movie. He's the one that he uh, Edward Norton beats to a freaking bloody pulp, and his whole thing is, you know, I just wanted to destroy something beautiful. And oh the movie, and the movie is like this really like insane mind fuck, right? Because the whole movie is Edward Norton and Brad Pitt, right? And then things start kind of like spiraling out of control because whereas Fight Club started as just something that these guys could do to just blow off steam, it's really becoming like this radical movement to the point where they essentially decide to become eco-terrorists, right? And everything is like moving so far away from what Edward Norton even like thought of when they started Fight Club and then the whole big reveal which I guess spoiler alert for no one who's ever seen it which shame on you but the whole reveal is that Brad Pitt's character never existed in the first place and you, when you go back you're like realizing shit right like because at some point Edward Norton's character starts this sexual relationship with Helena Bonin Carter's character. But then you think that she's also having sex with Brad Pitt's character. And then she says something to Edward Norton, like, oh, you're like two different people. You know, you, you want to touch me at one point, but then you don't want to touch me at another point. And he's just like looking at her like, well, you're fucking, you know, Brad Pitt's character, obviously, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, that's him. Because you realize he never had a, had a name. You know, Brad Pitt was Tyler Durden, right? But it's like, no, 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 you're Tyler Durden, you know? And the whole, like, thing that, like, is going crazy and how he has this big movement and all the guys, like, truly believe what he's talking about. And they're like, I'm Tyler Durden, I'm Tyler Durden, you know? Like, that's just how it is. And, you know, he's, they're saying, oh, well, you said you would, you would act like this at some point, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, just the whole thing, right? And I love how the movie ends right where he is talking to Helena Bonacar's character actually he after he literally shoots himself in the face which I don't know how he survived that but he shoots himself in the face um to try to get rid of Brad Pitt's character and he's still alive and he stands there and he tells her you you met me at a very strange moment in my life and they literally watch all of these buildings crash down because that was what the movement was doing was going to destroy all these big businesses. So it's a crazy movie. We don't have a whole lot of time to talk about it. So I don't want to go in too much in depth, but the, everything that you. Oh, Tia, did I lose you? I think we lost Tia for a second, but I'll go ahead and give my thoughts on it. It is uh, one of those movies that it is such an utter, like, mind screw that I sat there for the longest time just like, okay, what's going on? Because you have the guy named uh, 
it's like so and so he's got bitch tits which I always found that so interesting especially when they meet there and he just hugs the guy and he just nestles against his chest but you do sit there and wonder that how can someone like him just uh basically his mind split like that and I found it so like terrifying because you sit there at the end and you're like I don't get this and especially because I watched it with someone that had already seen it so I didn't know what to go in like expecting I had zero expectations for it but uh man yeah it's sorry Brad Pitt's character in it sorry my uh phone dropped because of stupid boost and the two hours and eight minutes rule um but yeah well, I think the whole thing is that Edward Norton's character has insomnia, right? So he's not sleeping. So obviously they say that, like, you know, sh- not that they say that this is going to happen to everyone, but, like, that's a possibility, right? Your mind literally, like, from such a lack of sleep, like, diverts into two beings pretty much, and that's where he was getting with. And, you know, the whole thing where, like, you have how – he and Helena Bona Carter go to different support groups because he can only really sleep when he cries, you know, and they, they meet because he's like, you know, you're ruining it. Like I'm faking having all these illnesses. You can't also be in the group faking all this shit. You know, we have to make up a schedule where like, you know, we go to separate ones at separate times. And I love Bob. This is Bob. Bob has bitch tits. <laughs> right. You're right. I love when he hugs him and he's just like nestled against him. Like okay, he's like it's okay, it's okay. But yeah, I love Fight Club, and I'm sure it's not like the uh, typical what you would call comfort food movie. But to me, because I feel like I always get something out of it when you like watch it, you know, because it is really like you know this whole you know message of this consumer heavy world that we live in, and I just feel like I can watch it easily every single time and just continuously find out different things over and over and over again. Like how someone pointed out really quick, you know, how Brad Pitt's character talks about how he, you know, uh, splices in like porn, right. In the middle of movies and shit. And someone pointed out that if you watch the movie, they actually do that in the movie. It's just so quick that you don't realize that if you pause at certain points, it's like, little scenes are spliced into it, which is crazy. Man, that's a mind screw. I don't even know what to do with that information. I know. So it is very insane. But I think that we did a very good job of breaking down some of our favorite comfort food movies. Um, Definitely a diverse list here. But, hey, everything is subjective, and what you enjoy is what you enjoy. But, Brittany, we have about – uh, two and a half minutes left. So if you had any sort of uh, honorable mentions that you want to throw out really quick, be my guest. Um, all I can think of is uh, Lawless, uh, of course, Silence of the Lamb, because I could watch that a million times. Uh, it was a weird comfort one. And I think that's about all I got off the top of my head. I'm surprised you didn't put Lawless on this list. It was definitely on my honorable it was on my honorables list, um, and yeah, I guess that would be so much it. Also, I wanted to put Fury down and also Child 44 and Skull Island, weird comfort Ooh. food movies, but I love 
with all of them. But, Brittany, while we got the time, I definitely want to give you a moment to promote yourself. Um, well, you can always find me on Twitter at itty-bitty-brit0 because the other one was taken. But uh, I've been doing a lot of streaming. Uh, if you follow me at Twitter, that'll let you know when I'm about to stream. Uh, and that name, my username on there is itty-bitty-brit. And maybe eventually I'll get itty bitty pretty once it frees up on the username. <laughs> but uh, yeah, follow me. We're gonna have a good time. I'm playing a lot of Fallout New Vegas for the. I've been playing it for the first time, so that's been fun and interesting. Absolutely. Everyone, please make sure that you check that out. And you, of course, can find me on Twitter and Instagram, uh, TFAB. I do a lot of content writing for Geek Vibes Nation. Of course, you can follow us at geekvibesnation.com, where you can find all of our fantastic articles, news, and thought pieces, movie reviews, as well as amazing podcasts. We have uh, our Geek Vibes Live coming later on today, which is awesome. It'll be me and Juwan having fun with that. And, uh, yeah, there's just lots of podcasts. There's going to be interviews coming up. So please make sure that you like, subscribe, and all that jazz. Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time out your morning to speak with me about the top ten. And everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you, everybody. Have a great Sunday. Bye. You too. Bye.